Jackson Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we are on a series making our way through Genesis. And we had a question pop up online from Mr. Joel, my brother, who said, I once heard someone tell me that if we still lived in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't have to deal with emotions like sadness, grief, or pain. Thought this was a rather interesting suggestion because to me, feeling sadness, grief, pain, etc., is all a part of the human experience and are not inherently bad emotions. Even in a perfect paradise, I feel these emotions would still exist. Going back to what was said last week, we were made good but not perfect. Feel like we would still find ways, even in a perfect paradise, to hurt people in ways we did not intend. I think paradise looks to me like being better equipped to know when you have offended someone and doing a better job at asking for forgiveness and reconciling those wrongs. Uh, we then had Pastor Kevin Eccles respond, I'd always assume that to wipe away every tear referenced in scripture wasn't intended to mean permanently without tears, but instead that perfectly loving and compassionate help would be available to all at all times. Olivia as well uh, was thinking over it. And so now I thought we'd all kind of think together about the Garden of Eden. Would there have been, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if we're being a scriptural or philosophical or what today, uh, but I think it lends itself to good conversations and will also help us get into the Easter conversation of yesterday if we kind of hop into this, since Easter is a return to the Garden of Eden. So, um, first off, do you guys have any thoughts that come to mind? Would there have been pain and grief in the garden and all of that? Or are we thinking perfect paradise? So, in my line of thinking, I believe that sadness and pain are not side effects of the fall. They're just emotions that we, like Joel put it, like they're part of the human experience. Um, I think that because of the fall, we experience them differently now than maybe how we were intended to. So maybe sadness wouldn't be such a painful experience in paradise, but it would still be an experience that we would go through. I didn't want to use experience for a third time in one sentence. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It does seem like an interesting question because there are parts of pain and things that create your frame of reference, which are very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yet, if they didn't exist and your frame was smaller, would it then just change the magnitude of the highs and lows that you see? So like, would your would your grief just be less? You still feel it, but it would be less. Or would your happiness also then be less because you don't have the comparison of the deep valley of as much grief because of the smaller window? Philosophy. That's just, that's, that's where I try to approach it from. So I feel like the original intent was not to feel the depths, even though it was available. If our frame of reference was less, we would still feel a portion of it, but not the entire magnitude. 
So have you ever heard the expression, a good cry? Typically it's used in, I just wanna have a good cry. Like, I'm gonna go watch that sad movie and have a good cry. No, that doesn't exist. Casey doesn't cry. I've had your good cry before. Yeah, okay, so this is, this is gonna be my point. Sorry that Casey has no frame of reference <laughs> for, crying. for my point. But, like, sometimes you watch a sad movie because you want to feel the emotions, but you don't feel bad from the sad movie. You still feel sadness, but in a good way. And I feel like maybe in Paradise, sadness is felt a little bit more like that, where it's like, I want to feel this sometimes, have a good cry, and then go back to like, happiness. Nope, I'm joy all the time over here. Well, joy and anger, from inside out. Does the, does the Bible give us any different kinds of like, wonky emotions within Eden? I would say, so this is paradise. This is before they've fallen. Mm -hmm. Are there anything, any sights that we see of like not perfection? Remembering again that everything was made very good. I would say there is death already. Is one possible way to kind of translate what's going on is death already exists in the world. The way in which humanity gets to avoid it is by how? Being so close to God? Being so close to God and within God's presence exists the tree of life. So, like, the Bible's trying to illustrate, like, God is life. If you want eternal life and to live eternally, then you need to have access to the tree of life in his presence. So otherwise, there's death. Because what happens when they sin, they are removed from his presence and turned over to life without him and that kind of level of intimacy, but also uh, turned over to life outside of that tree, which is what? Death, right? So uh, some, I think it's Jonathan Walton is a Bible scholar, especially on Old Testament, who, if I remember right, he's the one who proposes like death already exists. So therefore there is like a, like a sadness that could be comprehended like, oh no, what if we ate of that, <laughs> you know? Uh, as to if they like truly understood what that meant since they're meant to be like immortal beings in God's presence, I don't know. But uh, though the world is very good and Eden is very good and humanity is very good, there is this understanding outside of God's presence, things aren't always very good. There's no like in immortal life if we can't eat from the tree that's in his presence. So that might be one way of seeing a possible sadness. I don't know. We also have discord, right? Between Adam and Eve, between uh, the snake and between Adam and Eve is like, even though life is very good here in the garden in God's presence, there's the space to pursue sin. There's a space to give yourself over to it. And after Eve does, then Adam as well, like there's this discord, like you should try this. So weren't we not supposed to eat that? You know, like, and then both of them giving themselves over to it. So I guess we could say to some extent, 
looking at the garden, we already see some possible vignettes of, of things not always feeling perfect, so to say. But at the same time, I think Casey has a point too, like if you remove like the bottom of your scale, you just get a new bottom, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if this is grief as we know it in a sinful world, maybe grief in the paradise of Eden could still like be sensed, but it would be nowhere near as like deprived as, as we know it now. So maybe well, I mean, there's an influx. But. Well, I mean, or even like think of it musically, because you know, you just raise the octave. So even though our lows would not be as low, our highs might even be higher. This guy with the good analogy, I like that. We've dropped like 12 octaves. Like it's, it's, it's pretty depressing, right? When we see the grief and there's lots of things to not have a good cry about. Uh, even in the past year, a lot of people's experience has naturally been the question of like, God, are you real? If so, where are you? Why is this happening? Why is COVID happening? What's going on? You know, like there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of uh, faith crises right now, crises, because they, um, they long, we all internally long for that garden where things are better. So to some extent, this is all kind of philosophical, but we know our story as humanity, right? In the beginning, things were made very good. Life was good. We were told that there is some bad stuff out there. There's this thing called death. There's sin. There's uh, um, difficulty beyond the garden. And uh, um, due to our decisions, the scale, as Casey's saying, drops the whole 12 octaves, right? Mm -hmm. We're no longer just at a A with the range of... <laughs> Right. Going up octaves. We've now all the way down the piano to the bottom, and life is now uh, very difficult. So the scale has ranged, but what Jesus does, and he's, he comes, and the Bible starts talking about his resurrection as like the, uh, the coming of a new Eden, where things will finally be not only as they were pictured to be in the beginning, but so much better place where chaos is done away with, right? So like at the beginning of the Bible, if ocean represents chaos, and even in the Garden of Eden, it's still there. So you have the difficulty of that. At the end of the Bible, it pictures God just getting rid of that. Like, okay, so now we've gone steps beyond Eden. Like chaos is completely removed from the earth. Um, and so this is where I would say in the garden, could they have experienced some grief? Maybe, but in my understanding of the end, the next age to come, as the Bible often kind of seems to view it, uh, when the resurrection comes and the new heavens and the new earth are here, in that phase of existence, the bottom of the scale, like, like, <laughs> like move it all the way up and then here's a whole bunch of notes beyond that that you didn't even know existed, right? Because right. uh, the way that Eden's phrase is, or sorry, Resurrection's phrase is like, this is not just a fixing of Eden, but it's like the perfection. It's so much more than that. Chaos done away with, God will wipe away every tear from your eye. Like we get rid of evil, we get rid of chaos. 
And we get to a point where I think the Bible is trying to picture us as not even like sinning anymore. Like in our free will of this of this age, we were tested. Do we want God or do we want sin? And and we chose God. And so in the end, we won't sin anymore, perhaps because God says, like, you told me you wanted to get rid of sin, right? Uh, so I'm giving you a new body in which you still have free will, but you won't sin anymore because this new body, like, when you had free will, said so get rid of sin, this new body does just that. Like, you no longer give in to sin. That would be my estimation, because the resurrected body, Paul says, is like it's conforming us to the full image of Christ, who didn't sin, and who put on this resurrected body and lived eternally and, and uh, uh, with a body that can't be corrupted. So I would say at the end, yeah, we are in the new heavens, new earth, new Eden, resurrection life. We are looking at the fullness of of paradise and perfection, where I would imagine there is no more sadness. It's not to say that like life is cheap. We had our we had our go at sadness, <laughs> and we chose that uh, we didn't want that anymore, and so God officially wiped it out. Um, so as a I have a terrible analogy. No, you're doing so good. Don't do it. Don't do it, Casey. <laughs> Too late. I've already started. Okay. So. What you're saying is on earth, we're all in the Nickelback range. But then when we, when we resurrect, we all go into the Mariah Carey range. Because of octaves? Yeah. Okay. thought you were doing something with an analogy of sometimes the song gets stuck in your head and life's okay, but then you really don't like it at the same time. And no, I was making more of a joke about Nickelback being bad. Yeah, got it. Octaves is still what you're playing with. Yes. Yeah. You should have stopped while you were ahead. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, you know, I, like I said, again, we're kind of like trying to contextualize and put ourselves in the story. Yeah. But at the beginning, things were not made perfect. They were made very good, as Joel pointed out and as we talked about last week. At the end, if I understand right, things are made perfect or at least the new age is set into place for continuing to make things perfect. Like, I always wonder, like, as the new heavens and new earth are here, will God just be just, like, completely like, don't worry, I took care of it all, or will he, like, assign tasks to us? Because perfection for me doesn't sound like me just, like, ah, sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair for trillions of years, like, I like working, like, <laughs> like for me, it'd be like, I would enjoy writing some books. I would enjoy, you know, teaching. But I mean, who, I don't know, the thought of that to me is weird, because like, yes, writing books, but normally someone has to read the books, and like, you have to be doing it for somebody, I feel like. Some people might enjoy that. Maybe there's Lots other people. Some people enjoy in, reading. Yeah. Just a map. So, in one of my books, I pictured uh, uh, my characters. They basically enter into the heavenly kingdom, and when they get there, they run into Moses, metaphorical Moses, who uh, has this huge library. And they're like, "Who wrote all these?" Like, "Oh, I did." <laughs> you know, they're like, "What? Do you, why?" You know, and and like, he's like, "Oh, 
the things I knew on Earth, oh, I just couldn't stop writing about it. But once I got here, I found out there's so much more to God and like, I just keep writing it down. You know, like, I am of course writing fiction, but in my mind, that's like, when I get to heaven, like I would love to keep <laughs> writing. I wouldn't mind a little farm or whatever. No, I don't want a garden. But there are people who would want that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I would think that the new heavens and new earth are not just like devoid of like some kind of enjoyable paradisical engagement. Uh, I don't know that we're just sitting on the rocking chair sipping tea with the dog and running out in the prairie. And, but whatever it is, it is perfect and wonderful and we'll love it. And so some of the ways that Jesus even kind of like seems to picture. So you guys remember that whole it's a story about resurrection. Sadducees are trying to like corner Jesus and get him like to with mess. With a trick question. Yeah, yeah, with trick questions like. There was a person, she was married to this guy, the guy died, and then he got married to her 12 brothers or seven brothers? I think it was seven-ish. Yeah, but like, or we're thinking of that one play from, (laughs) I don't remember what it's called. Uh, But like, so he marries the brother as the law prescribes, and then he dies and marries the next brother, and finally she gets to heaven and she's living in polygamy with seven brothers, you know, and they're like, this is ridiculous, Jesus. Resurrection's ridiculous. Can you imagine that? And Jesus' response is, First off, you guys don't know the scripture, you idiots. <laughs> and that's exactly how he said it. <laughs> he actually was pretty harsh. I think it was maybe fools. I don't know. But either way, he uh, he's like, you obviously don't understand the power of God or the scriptures, but like, you also don't understand how the resurrection works. You think that life as we know it right now will carry on into the next. And I'm telling you what is to come is different you know like it's not going to be the same and he goes so far as to say like this marriage that like you're like so when you get to resurrection who's she married to he's like what marriage you know like <laughs> in our minds we're like whoa hang on that's how life operates like marriage you know like that's a normal experience sex marriage these things are all memories yeah. yeah part of the human experience well Paul goes on to talk about like oh when I'll see you guys in like the way he phrases heaven is like, can't wait. It'll be like a merry meeting between all of us. So it's not like we forget each other or that like you won't know who you were married to or you won't have friendship and relationship and, and all of that because Paul sees it as like a continuation. But at the same time, it's it's kind of a discontinuation as to how it works. It doesn't match the society as we know, which means like are sex and marriage bad things in the Bible? No. Well, okay, so they can be abused, right? Well, yeah. But they are good things put in place by God literally at the start of the whole thing, right? Get married, have children, this is the command, and fill the whole earth with children, right? This has gone a long way from the start of the original point. (laughs) Well, but my point, which I would have remembered if you hadn't said that, my point was that sex and marriage are a good thing, and yet it do, it's a good thing instituted by God, mm-hmm. but doesn't carry over into the new world, which means they must serve as a sign for something more, in my opinion. 
So like N.T. Wright often talks about broken signposts, uh, things that are pointing us to something greater that is to come. And so if marriage can be great uh, when it's working right, if marriage can be great, but it doesn't exist in the resurrection, what must it be pointing to that's so much better, right? If God's like, we don't even need that anymore in the resurrection, then what must be like this amazing thing that is to come? If sex is pretty great, but it doesn't exist in the, good job not breaking faces there. <laughs> if sex is pretty great, but it doesn't exist in the life that is to come, which would upset many people, I would think, then what is coming that is so much better than that? What is it pointing towards? You know, the pictures that the Bible paints is like a, a Jesus gets married to the church. And it, this is where I know the analogies start to feel like perverted and wrong. But like whatever this intimacy that we finally find with God that was offered to us at the start that we failed to keep because of our sin, when it comes and it comes in its fullness, not even just in an Eden kind of way, but in its fullness, where God himself dwells on the earth and lights the whole thing up, Whatever that is, is going to be perfect, right? Uh, when all the bad stuff is removed, not just from us, but from the earth, whatever is coming, I would say is great. I don't know that there still won't be some fluctuation of emotion, but in Casey's analogy, right? We're never going to fall to that same depth that we used to. So... And I'll, I'll throw one last thing in since I'm just going now. <laughs> N.T. Wright proposed this in, when uh, writing about Revelation. I love the idea. There's, there's some weird stuff in Revelation that is... <laughs> that I thought was, that was our last series. <laughs> no, we never did a series in this uh, oh, Jackson okay. Cloud Revelation. There's lots of weird stuff in Revelation. But there's also weird stuff that happens after the new heavens and new earth are installed. Right? There's Armageddon where Satan is taken care of and the enemy is wiped out, but also not wiped out. And then like the new heavens and new earth start, kind of it seems, but Satan still exists because he needs to hang around for like another thousand years or something for some reason. And then they attack the heavenly city and then they're wiped out. I'm <laughs> like, what is this lull between like, hey, we almost, Armageddon, like, almost ended everything. But hang on, we needed, like, another thousand years or so. Like, what is that? <laughs> N.T. Wright's proposal, and it's just, this is just, again, philosophy, but it's the only thing I've heard that's like, oh, that's good. Is like, what if, like, that's the time with our new resurrected bodies where we still have a chance to turn over to sin? to join Satan, to join this next army that rises up against us, and we find, oh, hey, we can't anymore. You know, like, <laughs> like, a, like a, let me show you just how real this, this, like, resurrected body does not struggle with that. This new paradise is so good you would never turn back to that. What if these, like, thousand years are just, like, still out there? You want to go for it? <laughs> Uh, no, you know, like you got the free will, you choose it. And resurrection, we're just like, uh, uh no, like that's stupid. We did that before. <laughs> I ain't taking the scales back down, you know. So, 
again, is that what's going on there? I don't know. But I love that idea because if you're like me every day, you're like, oh, why did I do that? I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I could be better. And there's this, this hope, not just hope, but a guarantee that one day that will be the case. Anyways, I didn't think we would have much to say to Joel's question, and now I've talked for 20-something minutes, so... And I don't think it was all about Joel's question, but it, at least it was fun. It was close. I mean, it went, it kind of went around and did we a thing. We circled back. It was, it then, was fun. Yeah. Also, did we get permission from Joel to use his question? He's my brother. Say? That is permission. Uh, so with all that being said, with all that being said, Easter was yesterday at the time that this is airing. And Easter is about resurrection life. Jesus puts on the resurrected body and goes into heaven waiting. And when he comes back, he will bring the heavens, new heavens, new earth with him. And that's what we've talked about today, starting with Joel's question of what was it like back then? So did we go full circle or was this just gibberish? Leave a comment below. Let us know. As well as be sure to come talk about stuff in the Discord as well as um, like, subscribe, share our page, and also let us know what your favorite Easter basket present that you got was. And also, hit that little bell for notifications. And also... I think we got it all, Jamin. We're just gonna play the credits.